Hello, this is Key Ideas, and I'm your host, Leela Viss. This podcast contemplates the rhythm of life as a piano teacher and music maker. Through illuminating interviews and transparent reflections, you'll feel validated, encouraged, and empowered. This is episode number 51. Have you ever come across people who seem to have the answer for everything? And not just an answer, but the right answer, or so they claim. Every time I encounter someone like that, I marvel at their confidence. At the same time, my insecurity kicks in and makes me wonder how they seem to have the direct line to the sure thing. Perhaps that's why I was so taken by the book my sister gave me for my birthday, entitled The Checklist Manifesto, How to Get Things Right, by Dr. Atul Gawande. I couldn't wait to jump in to learn how Dr. Gawande was certain how to get things right. Now, he is a surgeon and New York Times best-selling author, so certainly he has plenty of reasons to be confident, to be right, as a respected professional in his highly admirable field. And yet his book is a real-life tale that reveals what he didn't know. In the preface, he states that the 21st century has seen an accumulation of stupendous know-how, and yet failures, many of them unavoidable, are common. In a nutshell, knowledge, being in the know, has both saved us and burdened us. In a little over 200 pages, Dr. Gawande shares his adventurous discovery of why systems fail and a strategy, the right way to overcome failure. He narrows it down to, you guessed it, a checklist. I realize the book came out over 10 years ago, and I'm behind the times, but the content is timeless. This topic deserves our attention because I bet you, just like me, are a fan of checklists. I have a weekly calendar. It has a flowery cover with a refillable calendar that I reorder every year. At the start of each month, I write down the major tasks ahead, and in the pages devoted to each week, I jot down daily to-dos. There are few things more pleasurable to me than crossing off something on my list. The satisfaction of penciling in a task and celebrating its completion with a simple line drawn through it is close to the enjoyment of a nice glass of Chardonnay or a chocolate-covered salted caramel. But after reading the checklist manifesto, I've discovered that my daily checklist that helps me get stuff done is not really a checklist. It's a to-do list. According to Dr. Guande, a checklist is more than a grocery list or a to-do list. It holds unique power. The power to simplify the complex and to overcome failure. Did you see the jaw-dropping celestial photos sent from the James Webb Telescope? While driving, I caught an NPR interview with Bob Oakes, the project manager in charge of the mission for over 11 years. He shared that prior to launch, there were 344 single-point failures. Single-point meaning, if a single point or item on the list failed, they could have potentially lost the whole mission. The manager credited his team's attitude over decades of working together. He claims there were mistakes, but he never heard words like give up or failure. Instead, he heard, hey, we got an issue, or how do we correct this? How do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And how do we move on? 
Remember the pilot named Sully, short for Captain Sullenberger, who was hailed as a hero for safely landing a jet on the Hudson River and saving the lives of 155 people? Just after takeoff, the Airbus came upon a flock of Canadian geese. The plane immediately lost power when the geese were unfortunately caught in the engines. Captain Sullenberger was given the credit for piloting the plane to safety in 208 seconds, while his co-pilot consulted the checklist for engine failure to ensure a safe landing. So who was the hero? There's a movie named Sully starring Tom Hanks, and I just watched it. I highly recommend it. Of course, with Tom Hanks, it has to be good, and the storyline is powerful. From all appearances, one would think that Captain Sullenberger was the hero. And yet, the movie reveals, spoiler alert, that for some time, his actions were questioned by the authorities because simulation reports said he could have made the trip to a local landing strip. Dr. Gawande recounts the facts in detail about the traumatic water landing and explains that the crew and Captain Sullenberger of Flight 1549 showed an ability to think fast and adhere to procedures to a checklist, as well as their intuition when it mattered the most. The crew's preparations, not their panic, and their experience made them a team. The teamwork was the real hero. Dr. Gwande visited many professions beyond cockpits and hospitals. He goes into detail how architects of skyscrapers follow strict lists and schedules. This prompted me to ask my good friend Jody, who is a construction scheduler, about her work. Her job is to determine what needs to be done to build a structure. Jody enters all the project details involved with the build into a software program that kicks out a checklist, a checklist of steps and determines the order that they must be accomplished. One item must be checked off the list before the next can begin. Recently, I had my own experience with the importance of a checklist. Remember the tag for key ideas includes the phrase illuminating interviews and transparent reflections? Warning, I'm going ultra transparent on you today. In July of 2020, I went in for a routine colonoscopy because you know I'm at that age. All was well until I received word months later that a test was read incorrectly and the word cancer popped up. So more tests and two more colonoscopies later, I've been declared cancer-free. I bring this up because at my latest colonoscopy, I was acutely aware of all the questions I was asked again and again. Date of birth. Why are you here? Do you drink? Do you smoke? What medications do you take? Are you on a breathing machine? You know all the questions that you roll your eyes at and yet kindly comply and answer. Now it's clear after reading the checklist manifesto that the hospital staff is covering their bases, making sure the right patient is receiving the right care with a checklist of questions and tasks, simplifying the complex and avoiding mistakes. To my dismay, there was a loophole in their checklist. I had stated in my pre-check-in that I had gotten COVID within the last month or so, and the nurse was alarmed. Even though I did not have a serious case of the bug, which had gone rampant over the summer months, and I had tested negative long before the procedure, she was concerned that the anesthesiologist may not go forward with my procedure due to the complications that can develop from COVID. 
For 30 minutes, I waited anxiously in a room made of curtains on a bed with nothing but a hospital gown on, watching the staff walk by. I was livid, but trying to keep myself together. Would my entire night of prepping for this moment be all for naught? If you've had a colonoscopy before, you know that the prep is by far the worst part of the whole affair. Finally, the nurse came back with great relief and said that, yes, everyone determined I was clear for takeoff. I indeed would be rolled into the next room to meet the doctor and the anesthesiologist. Why bring up my personal debacle in a podcast dedicated to piano teaching? Well, first, I like to highlight the other side of life as a piano teacher, the human side. And next, it was clear to me that the hospital's checklist needed to be revisited. COVID had snuck up on the various hospital teams and communication lines were broken and for 30 minutes, a patient tried to keep it together, even though she was falling apart. And last, my hospital experience occurred while reading the checklist manifesto. My experience is an example of Dr. Gawande's quote about his own experience, where systems were flawed and checklists saved the day. He says, no matter how routine an operation is, the patients never seem to be. But with checklists in place, we have caught unrecognized drug allergies, equipment problems, confusion about meds, etc. We come in as strangers, but when the knife hits the skin, we are a team. A team following a checklist has provided surgeons, pilots, scientists, architects, hospitals, and construction sites with solutions to complex systems and problems. Teams following checklists have overcome countless failures. So if checklists are so beneficial, there's got to be a way to implement their benefits and their power in our studios and specifically use them to overcome a common complexity in our profession, the complexity of getting students to practice. Before I dive into checklists for your studio, I'd like to tell you a little bit about a resource that I created for off-bench time. I'm convinced that it fills a gap that many teachers have been searching for. For years, I've been using apps made by clever developers and I'll keep using them, but I really wanted to create an off-bench option myself. And finally, the right platforms fell into place and the gap, the topic became clear. My wish came true with a four module course called The Full Scoop on Chords, and it dives deep into all things chords. The show notes include a link for you to learn more about the course and make sure to use the coupon code KEYFULL, that's capital letters, K-E-Y-F-U-L-L, to get your first month for free. Back to checklists and practice. Let's unpack what practice really involves. For us seasoned practicers and teachers, we recognize practice as a habit to instill and practice strategies are something to teach. In episode number 49, I suggest that building habits starts with small steps. But let's peel back the layers even more and think about what is really involved when students get on board with a daily practice routine. Home practice involves the student, his or her parent or caregiver, and the teacher. Perhaps you've heard of the model of a magic triangle or three-legged stool. It takes an effort, a team effort, of parent, student, and teacher to make learning an instrument happen. 
The effort required for this team may appear manageable to us, but to our students and even their parents, it could be a Tyrannosaurus Rex-sized hill to climb. And perhaps we are asking them to climb the wrong hill, at least at first. I began thinking this way while listening to a podcast called Fluster Clucks. It's hosted by an anxiety expert named Lynn Lyons. It was recommended to me by Emily McGree, who will be a guest on Key Ideas later this year. I happened to listen to the episode entitled, The Back to School Message Every Parent Needs to Hear. And I'd add to that, most teachers, especially piano teachers, need to hear. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can listen to it yourself. I'll share just a few of the nuggets that I believe correlate with practice, and in particular, the practice that happens at home. Although the episode talks about school and homework, I believe what is shared can be easily applied to learning a musical instrument and home practice. If you haven't noticed already, parenting is hard. That's why the tag for Flusterclucks is for parents who worry. And one thing parents like to worry about is homework. The real struggle for parents is how to find a language that shows that they are on the same team as their child and not the bad guys. Lynn Lyons suggests that parents, and I'll add us piano teachers, need to think about the bigger outcomes that we all hope for from daily homework. Lyon asks us to ponder what are the lifetime skills that develop from completing assignments. According to Lyons, there is scant research that connects the time spent on homework with achievement or success. I'll say it again. Especially in the elementary years, there is scant research that connects the time spent on homework with achievement or success. Achievement or success really boils down to how students get things done, how they initiate work, set goals, and take the steps towards goals. Lyons shared that kids learn these skills, usually called executive functioning skills, best not through homework, but through child-directed play, the playground. And most importantly, they learn these skills when they are doing things without adult interference. And one other thing that predicts academic success and being able to move forward, it's reading for pleasure. Not flashcards, not tests, not worksheets, but reading for pleasure. Although she does make exceptions for parents of kiddos with specific learning issues, Lyons says that when parents frequently check in on homework and fix homework before it's turned into the teacher, this will backfire. Let's pause just for a second. I'm guessing that many of you ask parents to attend lessons with their child. Lyons is not advocating that children are better off without parental guidance or help. She is stating that hovering parents who butt in and make sure their child never experiences failure as they learn can lead to anxious children who may fail to launch later in life. And I'm guessing, well, I know that you ask your students to practice between lessons. Lyons is not against homework. She does want teachers and parents to realize that getting homework or practice done is more important than getting homework or practice right. She admits that we live in a toxic achievement culture and understands the pressure, the anxiety that parents face for their kids to succeed. But overall, she encourages parents to think beyond the failed quiz and trying to fix the homework. 
Lyons says to look to the end game and develop children that can speak up for themselves, ask for help when they need it, and get things done on their own. Ouch, ouch, ouch. There is so much more in this episode, so I highly recommend listening to it, but it's not always easy to take and implement the advice. Sure, I can preach it here, but can I as a teacher? Did I as a parent? As a mom, I always expected our sons to do their best. And fortunately, I, we, me and my husband, and I rarely had to help them with schoolwork. They took informal piano lessons with me and practiced the most right before recitals. Looking back, I can see that they all had decent executive functioning skills and an impressive genetic pool when it comes to math. We did seek some expert help along the way when there were issues. Being a daughter of college professors, I was steeped in all things education and was accustomed to trusting the teachers and the school system. Like my parents, I did very little interrupting as the boys moved up in grades. That being said, getting them to clean their rooms was not so easy. It could be that I interfered on that front a little too much and it backfired. All three seemed to be unimpressed with their mother's organization and cleanliness. Good news, the oldest son now has befriended his neat and tidy heritage. I couldn't be more pleased. Okay, back to the topic of homework. I liked it when the boys got A's and tried to hide my disappointment when they'd get a B or maybe even a C. Now keep in mind, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Parenting wasn't easy on me. It is the hardest job there is and it will always keep me humble. It really takes a village to raise kids, and I'm grateful to all the teachers, grandparents, and coaches who were an integral part of our son's lives. Thankfully, they have all launched, although it did take some returns back home before they left the nest for good. Overall, the three boys thrived during those tricky K-12 through years, and yet I do remember when one of our sons scraped by an organic chemistry course in college. Just getting through it was a massive success, Suddenly, it wasn't about the grade. It was all about getting through a tough class and coming out okay on the other side. Flipping back to my professional life, yes, I'm happy when students practice and those who earn the high scores at festivals, but I'm also thrilled when students show up and have played the piano between lessons, maybe practiced, and maybe more than once. They are showing that they are taking steps toward a goal of learning the piano. The longer I teach, my job becomes clearer. I'm a cheerleader and a coach as students gather up the tools to become a lifelong learner. Thanks to the Clusterflux episode, I'm encouraged to do even more play and not just practice at lessons and continue to let students read and play music they like, music that brings them pleasure. So now back to the checklist. How can we take what we've learned about homework from anxiety expert Lynn Lyons and tie this information to home practice and checklists? These are good questions, and I think I have an answer, maybe even the right answer. I believe there's a need for three checklists, one for students, one for teachers, and one for parents that ultimately lead to a team effort heading to the end game, a pianist who is stuck to the piano bench for life. First, let's go back to Dr. Gwande's book about what makes a good checklist. Here's a slightly abridged list of what he recommends. A checklist must have clear, concise objectives. Use simple sentence structure. Fit on one page. Include tasks that can be completed in a reasonable amount of time. 
and be open to revisions in the future. Here are the items that I include on the teacher list. Each item begins with the letter E, and then I go into an explanation about what each item means. First, engage from the start. Open lessons with a question or an activity that make pianists feel welcomed and eager to learn. Next, explore more. Invite pianists to learn new concepts through discovery. For example, instead of giving them the sheet music for a tune like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, ask them if they can sound it out with palm pipes, which are mini boom whackers, and then try the same thing on the piano. Now they are primed and ready to discover the distance between keys and why intervals are so important to melodies. Explain less. Yes, we need to explain things, but I added this to the list to remind us all to do less telling and more showing and exploring. Encourage practice strategies and show students how they work in the lesson. Empower autonomy. Encourage students to come back to the next lesson with questions when they aren't sure of something. And the last E, exit plan. Ask students to state back to you what they are to complete and make sure they agree that the tasks are doable by next time. For the student checklist, each phrase begins with an R. Reserve time. Perhaps it's not the same time every day, but find at least four or five times in a week to practice. Review assignments. Read through each assignment and watch the videos or listen to the audio recordings included in the assignments. Remove distractions. If a phone will interrupt practice, move it away from the piano. Reward yourself. After each practice, choose a fun activity or a snack as a treat for getting the job done. And the last R, report back. Come to the next lesson with questions if you don't understand something in your assignment. And last, the parent checklist. Each item begins with an S. Survey assignments. Check with your pianist and make sure they understand the instructions. Set up a space. Ensure that the practice area is in a place where focus can happen and not be interrupted by the TV and other family members as much as possible. Simplify the routine. Ask your pianist if he or she would like getting books open to the right page and let the books remain open so it's easy to return to the assigned pieces. Next, stick to a schedule. Along with your pianist, decide on times that practice will happen during the week and connect it to another established habit, like before dinner or after teeth are brushed. Satisfy your practicer. Praise your pianist for practicing and don't save your positive comments for only big moments like recitals. Sometimes your pianist may need an add a girl or add a boy just for getting the job done and be open to bribing them with a favorite snack or activity after practice is done. Sense the need for a pause. If your pianist kicks back at the idea of practicing, it could be that something happened at school or with friends. Encourage time at the piano, but allow it to be playtime versus practice time. Stir up questions. If your pianist is struggling with an assignment, avoid fixing things or helping them get it perfect before the next lesson. Instead, remind them to report back to the teacher and be ready with questions. Yes, in some ways, these are three to-do lists, but they hold the power of a checklist. When everyone does their part, checks off the items on their list, the complex act of practicing and making progress is divided among teammates. Things are simplified. 
Head to the show notes for a download of the three checklists and feel free to share them with your student families. Since checklist has become a personal buzzword, my ears perk up every time I hear someone use the word and the success stories when using them. Group teacher Marie Lee uses a checklist for group lessons. She posts what needs to be accomplished during the lesson and she rewards the class, the team, if they complete everything. This leans toward a to-do list, but it promotes a team effort. And so I feel like it's more than a to-do list. In an interview with Pam Simpson years ago, she shared that having a checklist at Lessons for Students with Autism or ADD can help them move forward through a lesson. The checklist reveals the routine and they know what to expect. This can keep them engaged and focused. Lisa Damore of another one of my favorite podcasts called Ask Lisa mentioned how powerful a checklist can be for kids getting ready for school in the morning. Instead of parents nagging kids to get ready, she recommends making a checklist of what needs to happen before school. It shifts the responsibility to the kids. They must check to see what needs to be completed before school. Instead of a parent nagging to brush their teeth, they can say, hey, you've got five minutes to complete your checklist. The checklist holds the power. It's the one nagging for things to get done instead of the parent. This deep dive into checklists took me down an unexpected rabbit hole, and I'm so glad you came along with me. Perhaps it will help you to realign your goals for your students. If you need a refresher on why realignment is my theme for key ideas, head back to episode number 49. I hope you have found this episode enlightening as a teacher and as a parent too. If you do, please share the episode with your parents or another teacher friend. The show notes are packed with links for the book, The Checklist Manifesto, the Clusterflex episode, the Ask Lisa episode, Palm Pipes, and a download of the three checklists. Also, I include a blog post I wrote a couple of years ago about practice strategies and pill keepers. Yes, pill keepers. It features an infographic I made for first-time piano parents. The download includes practice tips and questions for parents to ask their children after a lesson besides, how was your lesson? Before I sign off, think on this. Captain Sully and his crew, their preparations and experience made them a team. The teamwork was the real hero. How can you make teamwork the real hero in your studio? This is Key Ideas, and I'm your host, Leela Viss. See you in the trenches, saluting the power of the checklist.